0: to the Nonfiction Podcast. I'm Deborah Campbell, an author, magazine writer, and a professor of creative nonfiction in the Department of Writing at the University of Victoria.
1: And I'm David Leech, a former magazine editor and a professor of creative nonfiction as well in the Department of Writing at the University of Victoria. And we are recording our voices today on the traditional unceded territories of the Lekwung and Wissanich Peoples, we are also thrilled to have a very, very special guest joining us for the next two episodes. Actually, Uh, Susan Olding is one of my, I think, one of our all time favorite writers of creative nonfiction, and I think one of our country's true innovators in the form of the personal essay. Her work has appeared widely in major, major literary journals and anthologies. She's won a National Magazine Award, the Edward Stabler Prize for the Personal Essay and many other honors. Uh, her first collection, Pathologies, a Life and Essays, is a heart-wrenching and mind-expanding exploration of her fraught relationship with her father amongst many other complex themes. And her new collection, which we're here to talk about today and is available now at an independent bookstore near you is a real tour de force of form and style. It's titled Big Reader. Welcome to the non-fiction podcast, Susan.
2: Thank you, David and Deborah. It's really nice to be here.
1: Uh, well, f- first question Big Reader is is a collection of essays, uh, most of which, or many of which have appeared uh, uh, elsewhere. I've I've enjoyed many of them and teach some of them as well. And yet it's got this incredibly strong unity in its theme and its structure all around the power and the importance of reading and books uh, in in your life. Can you just tell us the backstory of how this uh, collection came to be? Was this always your plan to write a series of thematically linked essays, or is it more serendipitous?
2: Well, it's a little bit of both, actually. I had written a couple of essays, um, just, you know, just by chance, right? I mean, I mean, not by chance that I was writing essays, but I had written a couple of essays, and I noted that the topics were that the, the topics were related, and that they were centered around reading. And I didn't necessarily make a whole lot of that. I just thought, I'm just going to keep writing uh, these pieces. I was at a point when I couldn't really consider writing a, um, a long narrative form book, because uh, I was just my personal circumstances were quite difficult at the time. Um, both my parents, this was during a decade when both my parents um, fell ill and died. And there were other caregiving responsibilities in my family that I was, um, you know, on call for a lot of the time. So um, plus, I was working full time in a, as a editor and writer for a fitness online fitness company so I I just kept writing these essays and then oh I'd maybe written four pieces and I thought hey maybe this is maybe this is going to be a book about the places and spaces that we read and that's sort of how I conceived of it at first um, but as I went on it it seemed less like like that was exactly what it was, but it still continued to revolve around reading. And I think a lot of that was because, in addition to losing my parents during that period, I also felt like I was losing reading, or losing my joy in reading. And that was a heartbreak that I almost that I almost couldn't confront, because I really had um, you know, books had been my life, had been part of my life, had shaped my life, I was realizing in ways that I wasn't always happy with, but that, um, you know, really gave my life meaning in a way. So um, as I was struggling with reading, I was writing about reading, and that's sort of how it all came together.
0: Yeah. Mm. Um- you, you you know, you're telling you're telling some some personal stories, even as you're as you're describing the origins of this collection, which also, you know, a lot of your essays feel as if they feel so fluid as if you're moving. Uh, you think you're moving in one direction and then you end up in another direction. And uh, one of the one of the things uh, that sort of maybe it's sort of a basic question, that it, but it's one that I think a lot of writers, new writers tend to have is where is the line between memoir and the essay what what is a personal essay i think a lot of people have a hard time distinguishing between that term and what they write for a university for example
2: right yeah well i mean i think it's it's a little tricky that these categories that we come up with they're really shorthand ways that that help us understand we think what we're doing but um sometimes they sometimes they don't perhaps but i mean i think a, uh, an, a an a personal essay is often does have a personal story at its heart but the reader or the, or sorry the writer is using that story in a sense also to understand an idea to make sense of an idea or perhaps a problem or question that is outside the self that the writer has been struggling with for some time. So that's sort of where I sort of, the, the, I think, Essays and memoir, they always are dealing with, you know, arguments or ideas as well as with story. But if you're writing a memoir, you're you're leaning further towards story and less towards argument or idea. And if you're writing an essay, there's usually a little bit more emphasis on the idea or the argument uh, and or at least a balance between the two.
0: And, and do you feel like there's a reason why the essay form in particular appeals to you as opposed to uh straight straight memoir um
2: you know as a reader i confess to sometimes getting bored by straight memoir um and i think that's not always obviously you know really wonderful memoirs exist and i love them and read them and and you know recommend them um but I think um, some some memoirs lack the kind of um, structural or uh, structural interest that that sort of just pulls at me personally as a reader. Um, sometimes also they they maybe aren't as tight linguistically. Um, I think I've always thought that the essay and poetry have an awful lot in common, and so uh, I mean you don't have to write an essay this way. It But a lyric essay, for sure, is related to poetry. There's a real power of metaphor in the essay, as well as in poetry, that speaks to me personally as a reader. Yeah,
1: well, uh, many of your essays uh, involve outside research, which is often a characteristic of the personal essay, what Philip Lopate describes as that light learning uh, and have a kind of braided structure where the the research expands upon the personal questions or, or quest that you ask. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the role of research in your writing process? Is it, is it clear to you how the research will contribute to the questions you're exploring or do you have to shoehorn it in uh, a bit or, or trust that it'll make sense eventually?
2: Yeah, I mean I absolutely love research. And um, but this is this is another one of those areas where um in this book I felt some ambivalence about it. I, this this I talk about it in one of the essays. This the writing of this book coincided with you know the rise of the internet and and or maybe the proliferation of, of the internet. And I had always been interested in research and always had done research um for my essays in the past, but with this book so much more so because it was all there at my fingertips, right? I didn't even have to leave my chair. I could just Google. And I found it both at times deleterious to my writing and at times exciting and life-giving to the writing. So I don't think it's an either-or situation. Um, I absolutely find that research can, when I'm stuck, I mean, I'll, I'll start usually with some kind of personal nugget. It's the question that is the, the image, the memory, the, um, the idea that is troubling me. And I'll write a little bit about that. And then usually, you know, a word will come up, a phrase, an idea, Uh, maybe the question will appear in a a clearer or at least a different way. So that's when I start doing the research and making the connections. And that is such an exciting time. And sometimes the connections are a little wonky. Maybe they don't work for everyone. But to me, that's part of what is so exciting about writing personal essays. It's finding and making those connections and showing that really everything is connected, that we are all connected and that we're all interdependent. And that's part of the glory of the essay. For me. I, I
1: think well, one of the things the, the connection you, you make is through structure, and, and, and Deb and I have had our conversations about my love of structure, and uh, I, I don't want to say you're not love of structure, uh, Deb, but but
0: uh, my intuitive uh, approach.
1: You're that's it intuitive, and, <laughs> and, and uh, I forget what we describe my an engineering approach, and I would say that you've got a bit more of an engineering uh, uh, approach, Susan, as more than I think almost any Canadian essayist. You really embrace that kind of formal, innovation and and uh, structural setting structural constraints for yourself, even what's been described as the Hermit Crab essay. And you do that again with essays like A Rake's Progress and even A Different uh, River. But what's really interesting, what I loved about uh, Big Reader is the, how the whole book adopts and kind of coheres around this almost formal exoskeleton with sections labeled prologue and verso, hinge, recto, epilogue, and addendo, which reminds us in our our incredibly digital age of of the parts of a physical book. It made me almost kind of feel this leather-bound book in my hands. And then you also kind of glue it together with these kind of short interstitial little mini lyric essays. Can you tell us about... Kind of again, how and why you took this particular structural approach to the book as a whole?
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question. <laughs> I hope I can answer it. Um, I had I, I had a I had a bunch of essays, and I wasn't sure. You know, I know I knew that some of them um, were obvious fits with one another; others, perhaps, less apparent to a reader. But for me, they did belong together, and I just really made it—you um, know—my project to figure out how I was going to um, give them that coherence, and it was really a goal. But I have to say, it took me like two years. So, I, in other words, I had a book that was ready. I thought it was ready. I showed it to a couple of editor friends, and you know, we discussed it, and 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 uh, I, but I still didn't feel completely good about it. Um, I eventually sent it out and it was accepted, but I still wanted to do more to bring it greater coherence. And I just sat on it and kind of, you know, I walked, I thought, I walked, I thought, and then I just, somehow I just started writing these little lyric things, I think separately. I wasn't really considering them as part of the book at all. I was just trying to scribble something. And, um, and again, it was similar to the process with the, 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 the longer essays, I realized, um, you know, maybe three or four in that. Oh, these actually kind of go together, and maybe they can, they can work. Um, and then in terms of the sort of the the overall headings, you know, the the uh, epilogue and addenda, and you know verso and recto, that was very a very late decision. Um, I just thought I just thought I wanted it to call up the physicality of the book and and even maybe it's at this stage in our lives you know in in the world the life of the world um it's antique nature (laughs) so that's sort of where I was I was at with that fantastic I I
1: think there's a lovely lesson in just patience for for writers and students around that
2: it's so hard right I mean you just want it to be done <laughs> and you really huh? you really want it to be done and you really think that it is done and it is probably done in some sense but um I really wanted it to be a book not just a collection
0: so mm-hmm. and so I'm gonna um I'm going to refute what David said and said you also use a very intuitive approach as well as a kind of engineering structure. So maybe you're that sort of this perfect marriage of uh, of the two sides. David and I argue on about um, how to approach how to approach writing um, because there does seem like there's a there's an intuitive I don't know what I'm doing kind of side to it.
2: Well, I listened to that podcast where you talk about that. And I have to say, I identified very strongly with both of you. So <laughs> <laughs> you're the bridge so- between us. <laughs> yes. So I think you're right. You know, I mean, I definitely start intuitively and, and sometimes end that way, as you've just heard. Um, but there is also a time when I get very interested in, I won't call it outlining, um, because if it's an outline, I get bored. But what happens is it starts to look like a puzzle. And it's like a puzzle or like, as if I'm coming as if I'm in a plane, and I'm looking down at a landscape of islands of a lot of islands, and I'm, and I'm imagining the way that land looked when it all fit together. Um, So And I and I start seeing that more and more clearly, and then I kind of get really excited because I I, I can start writing a lot faster at that point The early in my early stages. My writing is very, very slow and typically and I really don't know what I'm doing. And so but once I get to that point, I'm kind of racing
0: and that's when it's fun. Mm, That's a wonderful feeling. Um, one of the essays that I assigned to my class is called A Different River, and it's it's just so marvelous and complex, and my students r- really absolutely love it. Um, but it's, you know, it's this braided structure, it involves historical research, a lot of personal essay, a personal story, and also a sense of the narrator as a young Uh, a young woman and also looking back and sort of questioning her interpretation of things at the time. Um, Can you talk about how that essay came about, how those pieces uh, braided themselves together? Yes, so
2: that essay I owe in, in part to Frances Backhouse um she was on the um creative non-fiction collectives i think it was the facebook group and she must have been teaching at the time and she just asked a question to, of the group where are the canadian essays like uh, about the canadian city essays like goodbye to all that joan didion or um Uh, Late Victorians, Richard Rodriguez, who who happened to be, you know, and those happened to be two of my very favorite essays of all time, and that had made a huge impact on me when I read them as a younger person. So I, that just I thought, yeah, where indeed, where are they? Where are those essays? And so I thought, well, I guess I got to write one. And I went away and thought about it for a couple months, and um, then you know couple of lines came into my head I started thinking about the landscape the geography of uh, Toronto and started writing my way into first into the memories and then um, as I did more and more research I realized you know I I was thinking about um, it was during the period of of AIDS and I was thinking also about the role that the rivers had played in earlier cholera and typhus outbreaks in the city. And so I just got more and more into the research and um, found all kinds of connections that I hadn't expected. And it was really, I um, really, I really enjoyed working on that essay. It was, it was one of my favorite ones to write
1: to talk to us a little bit about uh, your use of details and I, I think this is again just shows your your mastery of the form that too often like uh I don't know, personal essays sometimes reach for the, the, the big ideas so quickly without being kind of grounded in, in that concrete uh, reality where you, whereas you kind of build up these wor- worlds, whether it's the exact items in a sublet house that has 20 sets of dishes or four tubes of truffle paste or kind of zeroing in on on the, the kind of details in a rake's uh, progress that, that this kind of fine attention to detail out of which emerges these larger uh, themes What is, what is the importance of uh, details for you?
2: Oh, I think it's huge. And it's also something that's really easy to neglect as an essayist. Um, Because I mean, one of the beauties of the form is that we can tell as well as show we don't have to show all the time. Uh, But the thing is that if you slow yourself down enough to write a real scene where you're, um, you know, laying out, the sensory details you will often find your metaphors there you will often find the meaning that you're reaching for there i had a teacher um his name is jim paul um i worked with him years ago at breadloaf and I, the phrase that has always stuck with me i hope i get it right i think he said something like stare at anything long enough and it will reveal its um literary antecedents And in that case, he was talking about Truman Capote in Cold Blood. We had looked at a short section and he was talking about how Capote had, you know, taken that story of of the murder in the, you know, in this small, in this rural setting and found in it Greek myth and built it all up with a chorus. And, you know, and we looked at the details that he had chosen. But actually, many of those details were probably right there at the beginning in the raw writing that he did, and then he went on to refine them. So that's the other step that, that, you know, with with details, sometimes you have one or two in in the first draft, but you look at those, see what you've put, go back, fill in more, and more and more of the significance of what you're really trying to write about will come clear to you. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, you're really, you're really talking about writing as process and not as something instantaneous that falls from the sky. Yeah, yeah. well,
2: <laughs> if it ever does that, that's, that's a bonus. I mean, once in a while it happens, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. We always love those, uh, those moments. Um, one of the one of the things I loved in in another writer's beginnings, where you talk about how you began to write in school based on a misapprehension of an assignment, and and it was followed by a classmate basically shaming you for for what you had written, even though the, the teacher had loved it. Um, this this whole uh, exploration of shame and inadequacy this is such a this seems to haunt so many, um, not only young writers, but old writers too. Uh, can you talk about the role of self-doubt in writing?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, when it's really bad, it stops us, right? Um, stops us entirely. And I think that was the case for me. I didn't start writing seriously until I was around 30. And it was largely because I really didn't, I had no models, first of all. So I had no idea that you could actually do this. I just It just didn't occur to me. Um, even though that's what I really wanted and had always wanted since I started reading. But, um, and then I I kept thinking, well, you know, if I, you know, if I get an education, then I'll be able to figure out how to do it. But I I somehow couldn't. And I, um, I really didn't think I had any ability in that direction at all. So it took a while for me to figure out that, well, you know, I just had to dive in and try it. And there were no um, in, I, I was in Ontario at the time and at that time there were no um, creative writing classes at U of T where I was in school, at least not that I'm aware of there, they might have had some in continuing education. Uh, and they did have a writer in residence but I was too scared to go talk to this person. <laughs> so. I didn't do that. So I mean, my first, um, my first advice to anybody who wants to write or who is trying to write is, you know, don't, don't let that happen to you. Uh, but at the same time, self-doubt can also, as I talk about a bit in the essay, I think be a guide. Um, uh, it It's the, it's what we need when we revise. Um, we need to sort of remember that, every word is not golden, um, that, uh, that we can, that we can shift things around and change them and that's okay. And we can, and we need to learn and grow. And what we did last time isn't necessarily what we want to be doing this time. So I think, um, maybe self-doubt isn't, isn't the best way of putting it, but, um, self-awareness anyway, we need to be aware of our own, uh, our own sort of fallback positions and try to jog ourselves out of them a little bit.
1: Well, that makes good sense. What, what about uh, now? I mean, you're you're at the stage where you're you're kind of a successful, acclaimed author with a new uh, book uh, coming out. Do you find writing easy? or are still hard and, and maybe related to that after this kind of year-long kind of enforced isolation slash writer's retreat of the pandemic that we're hopefully kind of stepping out of over the next few weeks did, did that make writing easier or, or harder for you so I guess a, a two-headed question in there
2: wow um well I don't I don't know that writing will ever be easy for me except except when it is. (laughs) So, you know, there are those times when when it just flows and everything is, um, you know, magic. Uh, But then there are times when it is uh, it is work. It's hard work. Um, And I I mean, I've heard the two of you talk about this and and, you know, um, Deb, you love the first draft stage and David, you love the revision stage. And so different parts of writing sort of call out different um, you know emotions in us and uh, and true to form I agree with both of you on that as well <laughs> so um during the pandemic it's it hasn't exactly been a retreat for me because um there have been people here uh who you know with with needs and um various yeah, Uh, so it's been interesting, um, but it, but I have been writing and I'm, I'm, you know, working, I don't know what I'm working on yet. I'm, but I'm working on sort of just raw stuff. I'm also finishing uh, a book of stories and, um, and I have some poems that I want to put into a collection.
0: If you, if you were to offer, say a, do, do you, do you use any writing prompts or sometimes when you're getting started on something new or you're wondering, where do I go next, is there any sort of game you play to get yourself uh, going, or or would advise others to to do? Um. Well, I do. Actually,
2: right now, I'm doing a, uh, a sort of in-house writing retreat um, with Brenda Miller and, and a bunch of other people, and she's sending out prompts every day, and we're kind of writing to these prompts, and maybe nothing will come of it, or maybe something will. So hers are, you know, they're very basic prompts, the ones that, you know, we give to students all the time, stuff like, you know, take a book off your shelf and find a line of poetry and start with that line of poetry or look out your window. What do you see? Describe it using all the senses and then describe a memory involving this thing and describe uh, what you anticipate in the future of this thing. Or she also does um, some really neat structural exercises that are just, um, you know, write very short sentences for five minutes, write chained sentences for 10 minutes, write one long sentence for 20 minutes no, no, you know, no break one sentence. So um, those are those are little tricks you can play with yourself to kind of get your conscious mind out of the way. Uh, if you're inclined that, in that direction. I mean, on the other hand, a lot of people write best if they have if they know what they want to write about, and they have a deadline, and they work towards that. So Yeah, I think it, I think, I think the main thing is for all of us is to trust our own process, whatever it is. And sometimes it takes a while to figure out what it is. So you have to do a little, you know, um, experimenting to see what works for me and what works for me now, because what works for me today is not necessarily what would have worked for me 10 years ago.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, before I forget, I I have to ask you a, uh, a question about my my kind of current obsession, and that's just a, what is the role of memory or your attitude to memory in in your writing process at at any stage of it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I really do rely on memory a lot for inspiration. I think, um, uh, but um, I also I also like. To trouble the memory, or to recognize at least that memory is not um, not entirely reliable, to say the least. Um, and I think, um, as I, you know, the, the longer I write, and maybe the older I get, the more I realize that um, it's it's actually really interesting. You can you can write your version of the story, which you might find that inviting uh, research in or interviewing people, talking about other people who also went through the same experience at the same time, they will have different insights. That can complicate your picture, but it doesn't necessarily ruin your story. Uh, You can find ways of incorporating that that actually make it richer.
0: Um, well, in the next episode, we'll be able to ask you lots of questions about this sorts, this sorts of fraught ethical issues around writing from memory and writing about other people and, and, um, and how to get, uh, to get through that. Um, but I'm wondering if you could read us maybe a little excerpt or a teaser from one of your essays before we sure. go. Sure. Yeah, thank you.
2: Okay, I'm going to read um, a short excerpt from an essay called Unruly Pupil that comes um, a little more than halfway through the book. And I don't think you need to, um, I don't think I need to say anything to set it up really. Unruly Pupil. In my second year of university, I took a job in an independently owned bookstore. The place was called Reader's Den, but there was nothing den-like about it. No mahogany, no oak, no crimson curtains, no whisper of sweet tobacco, no leather club chairs, no chairs of any description. Instead, it boasted bright track lights, row upon row of cheap white melamine shelves, a long newsstand continually in need of restocking, and an enormous floor to ceiling plate glass window that jutted on an angle to the Southwest. The window overlooked busy Bluer Street, Across the road loomed the Royal Conservatory of Music, and beside it, Philosopher's Walk, a curving pathway to the campus shaded by horse chestnuts and maples. From the raised dais behind the cache, I could see the walk's wrought iron gates and the leaves on the old trees, lime green in spring, darker in the summer rains. I could see people come and go from the nearby shops and pubs and doctor's offices, Mothers tugging their children's hands, lovers licking each other's ice cream cones, tourists consulting their maps. I liked this vantage point, high enough to offer prospect, yet close enough to yield details. It gave me license to stare. Once in early June, I was standing at the cache, gazing out that window, watching the white candles of the chestnuts blow themselves out on the ground when I heard a familiar voice You brat! It was my 11th grade English teacher, Miss Abelis. She lived nearby. I knew because once she had taken my entire class to a performance of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Afterwards, we'd gone back to her ground floor flat for coffee, perched on her low couches and crowded cross-legged on her kilim carpet. We'd analyzed the play while gawking at her high Victorian ceiling, her framed theatrical posters, her plants, her bentwood rocker, the objects on her fireplace mantle, the fireplace mantle itself, everything carefully chosen, everything deliberately arranged, everything advertising a woman of independence, and all of it evidence of an urban sophistication that none of us possessed and most of us envied. Finally, she led us all to the subway and from there to the commuter train that would take us home to the suburbs, the slumbering, insipid suburbs. Now she looked me up and down. What are you doing here, she said. We talked. I told her what I was studying and when I expected to graduate. She raised an eyebrow as if to say that prognostications were all very well, but she'd save her praise for when she saw the proof. Then she paid for her magazine and walked out into the late spring afternoon, her long dark hair rippling in the breeze as she disappeared into the crowd. The brat remark stung. I thought I'd been a good student in that English class, good in comparison to how I'd been in most of my other classes, that is. At least I'd done the reading. At least I participated in discussions. But it seemed Miss Abell saw things differently or else my actual performance had left a less lasting impression than my general reputation. I'd been wayward, willful, irresponsible, and often truant as a teen. I was still most of those things.
0: Thank you.
1: That was fantastic. Uh, not only are you a big reader, but you're a great reader as, as well. It was absolutely uh, thank you, uh, mesmerizing, and, and and congratulations on on uh, this kind of wonderful book. It's really kind of groundbreaking and and moves our uh, shared genre in in exciting uh, new directions.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure talking to you both.
1: Well, Susan Olding is the author of Big Reader. Essays available now from freehand books at better bookstores everywhere. Thanks again, and we look forward to uh, talking to you uh, with our next episode coming up next week.